new series on, on prayer. So today we're going to look at uh, a prayer of Moses. And then next week, uh, Elder Edwin will uh, lead us through a prayer of Daniel. Um, and then Vincent will take a prayer of Paul from Ephesians. And on the fourth Sunday, we'll come back together and we'll have a prayer Sunday that we that I hope will be the highlight of this series in that uh, it'll be worship, scripture reading, congregational prayer, led prayer, and, and we'll experience what it is like to pray for maybe 45 minutes. And, and you'll find that it is a very enjoyable thing and not an intimidating thing. Uh, maybe some of you are already thinking, oh no, I've got to pray with the person next to me. Okay, <laughs> I assure you that uh, if you're not comfortable with that, then... Uh, it's not going to be a problem. So that's what we're going to do uh, on this prayer series. Um, and in some sense, when we look at the prayers of Moses, Daniel, um, even Paul, it's, it's kind of like we are eavesdropping. We are eavesdropping into something very personal uh, about a man praying. But these prayers are recorded. They're recorded for eternity in, in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And... And it is instructive. It is instructive for us. In, in two aspects, we can look at the contents of the prayer, uh, as we will do for Psalm 90 later on, but we can also look at the circumstances behind uh, this prayer. And I think we, we will learn uh, a lot from this. So we start with Moses. Moses was constantly asking God. Moses was constantly interceding. Uh, on behalf of his people to God. For example, you, you remember in Exodus chapter 17, when the people of Israel were fighting this battle with the Amalekites, and Moses was on a hill praying with his hands lifted up. When his hands got tired, they were kind of losing. And then he had Aaron and Hur who helped him to raise his hand and they prayed together, the three of them. And then they won the battle. So Moses was asking for God's favor, for, for victory in the battlefield. In Exodus chapter 32 and uh, 33, um, after the people made the golden calves, remember when Moses went up the hill uh, to receive the Ten Commandments and then the people in the valley made golden calves and began to worship cows uh, made of gold, Moses came down and he interceded. He asked God, spare my people, spare my people, uh, forgive them. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 tells us also that Moses went entered into a second 40-day fast so that God would not destroy his people. Again, Moses asked God, ask God, spare my people, forgive them. Numbers chapter 12, when Miriam, his sister, and Aaron rebelled against him and Miriam's hand became leprous, what did Moses do? Moses asked God, spare my, sis uh, my, my sister, heal her. And she got healed. Numbers chapter 14, when the spies went out to spy out the promised land, came back, gave a very bad report, a report that had, had no faith uh, in their God. Moses again asked God to forgive my people. So he was constantly asking God for something. And, and the story is told of uh, a father who asked his young son, son, do you pray every night? And the son said, no. Some nights I don't need anything from God. You get a sense of that. So is prayer about asking God uh, all the time? So today we listen in to a prayer of Moses when he wasn't really interceding or asking God 
uh, for anything uh, very much. It was a, a private prayer, if, if you like, but it was recorded for us. And, and, and a story is also told of uh, a patient being referred, after seeing many psychiatrists uh, for her problem, referred to a Christian uh, psychiatrist. And so this lady came in, and she came in kind of like very cynical about everything. I said, told the Christian psychiatrist, so you, uh, are you going to ask me about my sex life like all the other psychiatrists uh, before you? And so this Christian guy says, well, if that's what you want to talk about, I'll listen. But what I am really interested in finding out, though, is your prayer life. <laughs> this lady thought uh, this Christian psychiatrist wasn't, wasn't being serious, but the, the Christian psychiatrist says, I am interested in the details of your prayer life for the same reason that other psychiatrists are interested in the details of your sex life. Because it shows me how you handle intimate relationships. And I thought there was a lot of truth in there. So the intimacy of prayer is uh, something very uh, significant. And who is really intimate with, with God? Moses. Moses was said that um, he would speak with God face to face. You cannot speak to God face to face and still live, right? Elsewhere in the Bible it says, but Moses, God speaks to him face to face. That intimate relationship they have, uh, uh, he has with God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So it's uh, that kind of a close, intimate, friendly relationship that Moses had with God. So let's eavesdrop. Let's look into Psalm uh, chapter 90 and let's read through this prayer of Moses. Okay, I'll read from here. Okay, so we can read Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years with a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
when did Moses pray this prayer? At first glance, it seems to be kind of a melancholic prayer. And you might well think that it is perhaps a prayer that he made toward the end of his life. Moses, you will know, lived to 120. So it's like an end of life a prayer when he was like maybe on Pisgah, on Mount Nebo, unable to cross to the, the promised land and, and sort of very depressed. But I found it very strange that this entire prayer, the only prayer of Moses recorded in Psalms, did not refer to the events of Exodus. And in fact, Moses says, like, how long? How long? You know that the salvation of God in the Exodus is mentioned all over the Scriptures. In many of the Psalms, even in uh, the martyr Stephen's uh, sermon in Acts, and Moses himself mentioned it uh, all the time in, in Scripture. Uh, even while he was interceding for, for his people, he would tell God, God, you remember you brought your people out. Now you cannot destroy them. The nations around us will laugh at us. And he mentions this all the time. But in Psalm 90, not mentioned. Instead, Moses says, how long, God? As though God had not even acted yet. And I think with that clue, we can get a sense of when Moses prayed his prayer. If you look at Psalm uh, 90 and the early verses, uh, for example, Psalm 90 verse 2, Moses, instead of talking about Exodus, talk about creation, talk about man, the fall of man. In verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And they talked about man being turned back to ashes, to dust. And then in verse 5, he talks about a flood. And may I suggest that he's probably talking about the flood. In the early days of the creation of the world, you carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep in the morning. They are like just grass which grows up. Perhaps he was even, even had Noah in mind when after the flood, Noah got himself drunk and some shameful things happened and, and it was just bad. Adam returned to dust bad. Noah, after a great thing of the flood, turned out rather bad. I think that a good case can be made that this prayer of Moses was not prayed toward the end of his life. And I think it was probably before the events of Exodus. I think it was, he, was, he prayed this prayer when he was in Siberia, when he was exiled in this place called Median. You remember that Moses was brought up in Egypt and then at age 40, he killed an Egyptian and ran away um, to uh, Median and became a, a shepherd there. And while as a shepherd in Median, he was probably looking at Israel continuing in slavery, his own people far away in slavery. And that's why I think in verse 13, he probably prayed, with this in mind, it says, Return, O God, how long? How long have compassion on your servants? Satisfy us with your mercy. As he was looking at the slavery of his people. How long? 400 years of slavery. How old was Moses? I think anywhere between 40 to 80 when he was in Midian. And I think probably he was at 70 years old or so. 
between 70 and 80, I think. Maybe he was thinking these were the twilight years of his life. And in the twilight years of his life, in Psalm 90, what was he thinking about? He was thinking about the iniquity of man and the mortality of man. You know that he referred to uh, Adam probably when he talked about returning to dust, that man returned dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You hear this in funeral sermons. And in the end, where is our dwelling place? God is our dwelling place. So our, our dwelling place and our home is not so much a place, but a person. God is whom we will return to. Then he, he perhaps made reference uh, to the flood where, where things so right ended so wrong and Noah had to, had to uh, curse one of his own sons called Ham and Ham is the father of Canaan. Canaan is the promised land and it's like it just ends so bad. And then there's reference to grass growing but for a day only and then it withers, it dies. There's reference to, to, to secret sins in the light of God's countenance. And then we finish our years with a <sighs> sigh. Really quite depressing. Maybe Moses was quite depressed just thinking about the history of his people and even to that day when he wrote this, this psalm were in slavery. Maybe, maybe he was thinking about, about Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Abraham um, lied, jumped the gun with uh, Hagar, the slave girl, then the son Isaac also lied like, like the father and was lied to by his wife and his son. And then Jacob, uh, the duplicity of Jacob, um, lying to the father, and then his 12 sons are uh, squabbling all the time and banishing uh, Joseph to, to Egypt. And of course, Joseph did something great, but that something great ended where? ended in 400 years of slavery. So it's like nothing very good for Moses to be thinking about. So I think he was in the 40 to 80 years age group when he prayed Psalm 90. And he must have been wondering, what happened to the promises of God? We were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. But now we are only blessing one nation, and that's the nation of Egypt as slaves. What's going on? Whatever happened to the promise to Abraham that we will be a great nation? Now we are a nation of slaves without land, without freedom. Moses began to reminisce about the iniquities of man, very mindful of the sin of man and and what a low-down position they were now in as slaves in Egypt. He was also very mindful about the mortality of men. And there's a verse 4 in Psalm 90, they talked about a, a thousand years is, is but like uh, a, a flies away, uh, just like yesterday. And perhaps he was thinking about the lifespan of men, because soon after that, he talked about 70 years and 80 years. So who lived? To a thousand years. Okay, the, the guy closest to it is 969 years, Methuselah. So perhaps he was thinking about man from 1,000 years, uh, Methuselah lived almost, huh? 969. And then, in, uh, that was in Genesis chapter 5, verse 27. And then in Genesis uh, chapter 6, 
it dropped quickly to 120 years. This very mysterious episode in Genesis when, when God said that, um, that uh, He will not contend with man forever. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God says, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. So very quickly, because of sin, sickness, uh, that sin introduced, dropped to 120. And then Moses himself, under the inspiration of God, says in chap chapter uh, 90 of Psalm verse 10 and 12, the length of our days is 70. Or 80, if we have the strength. But the span is trouble and sorrow, and they quickly pass away, and then we fly away. And then he asked God, he prayed to God, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So he's very mindful of the very rapid decline from 1,000 years to 120 to 70 or, or 80. And he was probably there at 70 or 80 in what he thought were the twilight years of his life. And I do not know if in those days of Moses, whether they had all these cliches that we have about time, when Moses was thinking about the sin of man and the mortality of man, whether he thought about time such as uh, saving time or, or quality time or time is money or time flies. Perhaps we could go through uh, some of this uh, very quickly. Save time. Save time. We, we've all heard this phrase. So is it valid? Uh, in the 1970s, there, there was a very famous song by a guy called uh, Jim Croce. And I'm going to play it for you. It says, if I could save time in a bottle... Sound? Okay, never mind. I'm not going to sing. Can you save time in the bottle? This is a great lyrics. It's a great lyrics, great song. It'd be very nice if we could save time in a bottle, but you can't. And the fact of the matter is this this singer and this writer of this song died several months after he wrote this song in a plane crash. Age 30. Age 30. So you can't save time. You really cannot save time. But we do have all kinds of time-saving appliances, right? We have microwave oven, and nowadays we have this robotic vacuum cleaner uh, that's supposed to go by itself and, and save you time. Well then, show me. Show me the time that you have saved. Where is it? Show me. Where, where is the time that you have uh, saved? Um, I think you cannot save time. You can only spend time. Right? Time cannot be saved. Time can only be spent or invested. And Billy Graham said this at a commencement uh, 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 address that he gave uh, for his college, uh, Wheaton College in America. Billy Graham said, time is the capital. Time is the resource. Time is the capital that God has given, to, to, given us to invest. Time is the capital that God has given to us to invest, not to save. Right? You spend it, you invest it. It's very, very different from, from money. You can save money, but you cannot save time. If you don't use time, you lose it. What about quality time? Uh, not so many parents here, but this is a great one for parents. Oh, but I'm very busy at work, but I spend quality time with my children, right? Um, I don't think it really works. I think quality time is really a misnomer. 
uh, because all time has the same quality. Right? All time has the same quality. Uh, one second is the same quality as uh, the other second. Uh, maybe an analogy is like quality money. Right? If I give you $100, if it's a brand new note versus a crumple up note, uh, would you refuse the crumple up note? I think money is money. It's quality, uh, it's quality money. So there is no one second or hour that is of higher quality than the next. So again, quality time doesn't quite work. What about time is money? Time is money. Also not true, right? Time is definitely more valuable than money. It may be very hard, and I'm sure all of us know how hard it is to make money, but it can be done, but none of us can make time. We can't make it. It is given to us. A.W. Tozer, a Christian author and pastor, once wrote, time is a resource that is non-renewable and non-transferable. You cannot store it. You cannot slow it down. You cannot hold it up. You cannot divide it up. Or you cannot give it up. You can't hoard it or save it for a rainy day. When it's lost, it's unrecoverable. When you kill time, remember it has no resurrection. Time is not money. And then we have uh, time flies. Time flies. You know that time flies at different speeds? Uh, I was at a gym uh, uh, about a week ago and we were... We finished our workout, we were in a changing room, and this friend of mine said, oh wow, time flies, huh? Before we know it, now it's already March, and a quarter of 2014 has gone. Then I said, oh, I thought you were going to say, before we know it, we'll be 70 years old looking at ourselves in the mirror with all the wrinkled skin all over the place, you know? Because I was thinking about 70 years and 80 years, uh, obsessed with Psalm 90, uh, that, that few weeks before today. Time flies. Someone once said, I think it was Groucho Marx, uh, one, one comic uh, guy says, uh, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. You get it? You don't get it? I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. This is what they call a, a double uh, entendre, uh, which has got, is ambiguous and it's got two meanings and, and they're not related at all. Okay? And when you read such a statement as this, they, they call this uh, a garden path sentence in that you're being led down the garden path. You're being led astray into a, something that has totally no meaning. So time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like banana, right? You know that when you leave a banana out there, the fruit flies will come and buzz around it. Okay? It has no meaning. What has real meaning is this next saying. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're a pilot. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. Was Moses a good pilot? I don't think so. Moses was a good co-pilot of time, which flies. Right? He was a good co-pilot of the time given to him, which flies. Because he let God be the pilot in command. And he was the co-pilot. Because he was very mindful of the iniquity of man as he looked through Israel's history, 
And he was very mindful of the mortality of man also as he looked through the history of mankind from Methuselah to Genesis 6 to his own days, which happened to be 70 to 80 years as he was able to observe the mortality of man. And then at the end of this very depressing psalm, he asked for two things. He asked in verse 16, Let your work appear to your servants. Let your beauty appear. He asked to see the faithfulness of God's hand at work. And then in verse 17, he asked to, for his hand which works, for the work of his hands to be established. And he asked for faithfulness in the work of his hands, man's hands. The faithfulness of God's, the work of God's hands and the faithfulness of the work of our hands. And when these two are inseparable, then time would have been well spent. So if this psalm were written while Moses was exiled in Midian when he was about 70 years old, what would Moses have seen of the faithfulness of God's hand? I don't think it was very much really, or was it? He would have seen that God spared him when he was a baby. When all the other male child were, were slaughtered by, by Pharaoh, he was spared in a basket down the river Nile. He would have seen the faithfulness of God in training him in the wisdom of Egypt in the best university of his day. He might have seen his classmates sniggering that, hey, actually this guy's a Jewish child and he's kind of like a, a bastard child. He might have seen that, but God preserved him. He would have seen that when he made this great mistake of killing an Egyptian, God provided a way out for him and he escaped to Midian. He would have seen that for 40 years as a shepherd in Midian, God was with him, but it seems like nothing very much happened in those days. And so at the end of that time, when he was about 70 or 80 years old, after spending 40 years as a shepherd in Midian, what would he have seen of God's faithfulness? It doesn't feel like it's very much. But then he doesn't know the New Testament, right? He doesn't know this verse that uh, God gave to Paul to write in Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to God's power that is at work within us. And I think Moses doesn't even know what to ask, doesn't even know what to imagine of a life when he was already about 70 or 80 years old. What's next? And God did more with Moses' simple prayer, I think, in verses 16 and 17 than all that Moses could ever ask or imagine. Moses had no clue that he would see God's hand at work in the ten miracles in Egypt. Moses had no clue that he would see the redemptive hand of God in the Passover where a lamb was killed, the blood was splattered, and God did not punish uh, those households with the lamb's blood, but instead the Egyptian households. He would not have imagined that God was able to set at one go all the Israelite slaves free, and God would bring them across the Red Sea and instead drown Pharaoh's soldiers. All he saw in those days was God's hand at work in the universities of Egypt where he was, and in the university of the wilderness where he was a shepherd. 
just being faithful as a lowly shepherd for 40 years. Moses could not have imagined also about the things that would have been said about him, recorded in the eternal Word of God in the Bible. Some of the highest commendations of man were said about Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, and, and God says, With him I speak face to face, uh, clearly and not in riddles. This was God defending Moses in front of Miriam and Aaron, who rebelled against Moses. And Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, the second part, God says this, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God was standing up for Moses. 21 times in the Bible, God saw it fit to refer to His law as the law of Moses. 21 times, the law of Moses. It doesn't say the law of God, the law of Moses. Jesus Himself referred to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms when He was on that road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus knew that Moses did not get to see the promised land in his earthly life. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Jesus, it was Elijah, and it was Moses. So at the end of Moses' life, that 120 years, I think Moses would finally be able to say this, that prayer may not change things for you, but it for sure changes you for things. And I think that God was like that. When God saw the prayer of Moses in verses 16 and 17, I just want to see your faithful hand at work. I want to see the beauty of your work, God. And number two, would you establish the work of my hands as a lowly shepherd in Midian? God, that. And say, this man, this man I can work with. This man I will set up to challenge Pharaoh and for Pharaoh to let my people go. And God was pleased with that. And this prayer of Moses in Psalm 90 changed Moses from that very depressive, melancholic kind of a prayer about the iniquity of man to the faithfulness of God and to his own faithfulness. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Finally, he saw that. God answered that prayer. So why don't we pray like Moses too? Why don't we pray like Moses? However old or young you are, in, in the first service, I referred to our age profile, which uh, was 38% of PPH in the English service is 50 years old and above. Perhaps you were thinking that I'm in that category. Like, oh, these are the twilight years of my life, you know? Uh, let me just cruise. Let me cruise to retirement. And, and I don't want to do anything. Let the young people take over. No. Maybe that was how Moses was thinking. Hey, I'm 70, 80 years old. All I've seen of God is University of Egypt and University of the Wilderness. And, and that's it, okay? Cruise. Maybe Moses was like that. But in this congregation, wow, totally different. Everything is, is before you. question is, how are you going to invest this time? Right? Those of you who are my Facebook friend, you will know that I am at level 455 in Candy Crush. I have never played Candy Crush in my life, okay? I, um, I, I gave my account to somebody 
who is very good. I'm not going to tell you who that very good person is. Not bad, huh? 455 level. But is that how you're going to invest your time? In your, whether you're in your teens or 20s or 30s? This time that Moses was so, I don't know, like, God, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And, and he thought he only had 70 to 80, and he, he is right. But for him, God gave him 40 more years to do something amazing. For us, that's about it, okay? Very, very few of us are going to be living till our 90s and 100s. It is 70 to 80. And so for me, at 56, not so much time. Every second is precious. So how do you invest your, your time? You can't save it. It flies. There's no such thing as quality time. Uh, time is not money. Time is nothing like money. You can't save it. You've got to spend it. How are you going to spend it? Let me just, just suggest two things. Now you spend it for eternity. Right? There are two things which are eternal. God's word, man's soul. So I'm very glad that from a very young age um, uh, that I continued to study the word of God. Right? Um, I'm not suggesting that you go on a paper chase. I never went on a paper chase. It was just because I was so indisciplined, I needed to enter a program. Right? So I entered a program and uh, worked through a Bachelor's of Theology, Distance Learning. It took me about six years. Okay? When I finished that, I entered into another program with uh, Biblical Graduate School of Theology, to not really to get a Master's. I just wanted a systematic time of uh, studying God's Word. And, but eventually... I, I got a master's after 11 years. 11 years. But it's just continuing, continuing. I know that I cannot lose. In this investment, I cannot lose. Right? If I'm investing in God's Word, I cannot lose. Whether I one day become a pastor or do not become a pastor, I will never lose by investing in God's Word. Secondly, you invest in man's soul. Right? You minister to man. You love man. You help man. Uh, you will never lose you will never lose. And especially if you lead men to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you will never lose. You're going to meet this man or this woman uh, in heaven and you're going to be together for eternity. You will never lose. So there are two investments that you will never, never lose. There's no volatility. <laughs> there is no buy high, sell low. Right? You always buy it and you will always keep going higher. God's word, man's soul. So today, I want to encourage you to think about your life. Are we wasting time? Are we losing it? What are some activities that you are currently engaged in that really has, is of low investment value? Time to cut it out. Time to cut it out. And time to rethink and to reinvest that same time that you spend accomplishing 455 level of Candy Crush into something else that bears better returns. And time to pray like Moses. I mean, Moses at 70 or 80 thought that nothing very much was happening in his life. Maybe for you in your teens and 20s, you also think like nothing very much is happening in my life. Then ask God. Ask God, show me the beauty of your works. Show me. One day you will see it. One day, when you number your days aright, God will give you the heart of wisdom and you say, aha, so that's what's, what's been happening. I did not enter engineering uh, a faculty by, by accident. God is leading me somewhere. 
and maybe you're like very fed up of, 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 of whatever it is you're doing. No, no, no. God is in it. God is in it. Ask God to show you in that faithfulness of the work of God in your hands, no matter your age. And then ask God to establish the work of your hands. Okay, shall we just bow and and think about these things. I, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you, especially if you are wasting time, or especially if certain activities in your life now bears very little return. It's, it might as well be like grass that grows up in the morning and dies at night. Don't go there. Right? Instead, pray like Moses. Instead, pray like Moses that you will see the faithfulness of God's hand at work and you will see the establishment of the work of your hands. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Speak to us. Reveal to us the secrets of our heart. in the light of God's countenance. Show us ways in which we need to change, to conform to the image of Christ. The things that we are investing in, which is not of very much value, and that we need to change, so that we invest in things that are of eternal value. Man's soul, God's word. Help us to do that. Let's sing this closing song together. Tripping will lead us. What season are you in? God will be in, but pray. Let's stand as we close in this song.
Examine our lives and ask God to help us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And like Moses, we want to ask God to establish the work of our hands. We want to ask God to be able to see the beauty of God's work. That God will show us, even now, young or old, where He is leading us the experiences, even the sufferings that He has allowed us to go through. Where is it leading us? It's got to lead us to eternity. God's Word, what it teaches, what it encourages, what it forbids in man's soul. Our relationships with God, with friends, with those who have not yet acknowledge you as God and Saviour. So let's come to the Lord and ask Him to show us, also to give us strength, discipline, to stop doing things that are wrong investments, that are wasteful in the days that God has given to us. And to seek Him. God, what are you showing me? What is my next step? How do I be faithful for the things that matter for eternity? Come, we pray together. to encourage your heart that nothing is too mundane nothing is so meaningless when it is invested 
for him in his word in man's soul and the one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much and whatever little that god has put on your plate in your life be faithful serve him as a student be faithful as a student serve him in your household that god has given put you in and just be faithful and like moses we may never see in this season what the next will be what amazing things god might accomplish through us or he may just let us be a common shepherd for the next 40 or 80 years but we are faithful but we be faithful and we pray let your work be shown to your servants and establish the work of our hands for eternity and so lord i want to pray for my brothers and sisters this afternoon lord that you will bring encouragement to our hearts our station in life now the season which we are in could be very ordinary could be very exciting could also be very mundane but what you have placed for us in this season lord that each one here would be faithful in little as we would be faithful in much and that we will pay particular attention to the things that are eternal the truth of god's word the encouragement of god's word the rebuke even things that we ought to stop doing now which are a waste of time and channel those resources into things which are eternal that you will grant to us the sensitivity to hear your voice especially where it relates to relationships our friends our family that we would be your channel of blessing your channel of grace a good word spoken, a kind and offered. And that these are the things that will last for eternity. So God, help each one of us here to invest for the eternal. And this we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.